0: Businesses tend to focus on revenue, profits, and getting loyal customers. But how about healthy workplace culture? You're listening to How I Turned the Corner, where Kendra Prospero leads eye-opening conversations that most business leaders avoid. The right way to address employee challenges. Listen to real-life stories of workplace struggles, giving you valuable advice on what must be done to make every employee truly satisfied and fulfilled in their job. This is for leaders who want to create great company cultures and for employees who want to do something to put an end to suffering at work in the most practical ways possible. Here's your host, Kendra. You will look at managing a multi-generational
1: workforce differently by the end of this interview. My next guest, Nicole Gahn, has lessons to share about bringing out the superpower in each person and providing the right amount of flexibility. Over the years, I've coached a lot of people about their jobs, and one conversation that I would have is around how to become a leader of an organization. Well, really, there's only three ways someone can become a CEO. You can buy a business if you have the capital. You can found a business if you have the idea. And some people get promoted or recruited and hired as a CEO, And I'll say each one of these has different leadership challenges to them. And our guest today was in the latest category there. Nicole Gann started her career in HR, moved into finance, where she led a successful turnaround at her company, and then was chosen as the CEO in 2018. She is the leader of the Dallas-based nonprofit called Juliet Fowler. It's in the elder care industry, which in and of itself is a challenging industry. But additionally, this company has been around for 130 years, which means she inherited a 130-year-old mission and culture and a staff of over 200 people that have been in place for many years. She has turned the corner as her organization has been recognized as a best place to work for three years running, which is also not an easy designation to earn with this kind of history, a challenge for sure. Nicole Gann, I cannot wait to hear how you've done it. Welcome to How I Turned the Corner.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Kendra. I'm so glad to be here with you. And and if there's any wisdom I can impart to your listeners, I'm happy to do it because we're all in this together trying to figure things out. That's what I like to say. And so I like learning from others' experience as well and integrating that into my path. So I I hope you and your listeners um, find some insight into our conversations today.
1: Absolutely. Well, so tell us, tell us what you have done these last three years to really turn this organization around in such an amazing way.
2: Well, you know, a lot of it. When I look back on it, I think if I described it in one word, um, we survived. And then I like to say that we thrived because really we were learning how to navigate our business in a climate that none of us had any knowledge of, no perspective. You couldn't look back and say, "Hey, here's how it got handled before." And the level of uncertainty and fear that were combined in these past three years, especially in the acute part of that, which was 2020, I think, um, was just uncharted territory. And you know, our organization really did thrive. We didn't just survive; it felt like that at first, but but we thrived because we pulled together and we leveraged. The thing that's most important to any organization, which is the spirit of their people. Mm. And when you can lean into that and acknowledge that we don't know, but we're going to figure it out because we've got a lot of talent here and collectively together, we can make that happen. Um, I think you can turn the corner from almost anything you know, with that mindset. Mm-hmm,
1: for sure. So, and you have a really interesting, I would say probably a really fascinating staff and that you've got every generation probably.
2: Yes. And
1: then not only do you have every generation on the team, you're really dealing and, and helping with elder care. And so you have this huge variety of different types of people that are pulling together. Can, can you talk a little bit about what that experience has been like?
2: That is the single most thrilling thing, I think, of working in elder care, is that you do have all those generations. Not only do you have a lot of generations, we probably have five generations in our workforce, but then, of course, we have the older generation and those that we serve. But when you put those all together in a healthy community, it is really just a beautiful thing. So a quick little plug of why people would want to work in elder care you can really find your passion there. It's hard work, but it's so rewarding. And here's an for example, as I said, none of us had experienced a global pandemic, but a lot of our residents had experienced the TB pandemic, the polio pandemic. They had a reference point of what it was like to have to be galvanized in uncertain times and, and rely on information from the government. And the comparison to the trust in the government back in those days versus the trust of the government in these days was kind of like a case study in how we navigate things. Not saying it was good or bad or better or worse. It just was marked with certain specific differences. But being able to leverage that experience and that wisdom of those who have been before who have lived through difficult times. And then I think the other thing that a variety of diversity in your workforce brings Is you've got people that are maybe more mature and maybe a little more steadfast in this too shall pass, but you also have that energy of the the younger generation where it's uncertain. So like, what do we got to do? We got to do something now. We've got this fast kinetic energy. We'll throw a lot of things at it. We're not so hampered by our experience. So we'll just ask anything and do anything. And like many other industries, innovation thrived for us at Fowler. And in many ways, I felt like we were reinventing the way that I had experienced doing this work for the past two decades. And I was like, hmm, wonder why we didn't think of that before. Wonder why we didn't get out of our way before. And that's the beauty of what the diversity of thought, really, when you've got all of these different people from different lifestyles, different Age groups, really different cultures too, is another big diversity component that you see at our community coming together and asking themselves how would we solve these problems.
1: But you set the tone for that, Nicole. I mean, you you created that environment where people felt like they could bring those ideas to the table. I've I've we've worked with a fair number of elder care organizations over the years, and I would say in general, those a lot of those leaders are very rigid in their thinking and. Complain, if anything, about people bringing new ideas to the table. So I really admire that you created those conditions for people to bring the ideas forth. And then you were adaptable enough and flexible enough to kind of go, well, sure, let's try it.
2: Well, thank you for saying that, Kendra. I've always, I've probably always been known as a little bit of a disruptor. So I'm kind of one of these people, if it's not okay to ask questions, you should probably be just a little suspicious of the environment that you find yourself in, right? And so, but it's a good point because leaders have to be very cautious of the environments that they create and that they foster. And sometimes I see leaders... Um, who wonder why people don't bring things forward or why they won't ask the question or bring the idea forward. And it's really because of what you just described. They're not fostering an environment where questions are valued. They come maybe from what I call an old-school mentality of a very hierarchical, top-driven, I'll ask you when I want your opinion kind of thing. For me, personally, as a leader, it would be so terrifying to think that I was the only person that had an answer to the question like that would be debilitating. I don't know why anybody would want to be in leadership and, and think that that's what they had to do. For me, what I've done is try to unlock the superpowers in each one of the members of my team, each one of our residents and our family members. Think about this. Our community You talked about the number of employees we have, but that's really multiplied by the 400 seniors we have and then the people who love them. So think about kids, adult children who have careers, too, and they all have a vested interest. So when you think about that, I'm taking that feedback and leveraging those superpowers of really over a thousand plus people to get the best outcomes for what we do. And that's what it's always going to be about. What are the best outcomes? And for me, it's just soliciting and bringing in all of that um, knowledge that people have that help us brainstorm and create the best solutions. Um, And in a way, the culture becomes kind of this living, breathing, organic thing that is just solutions-based. No one's face melts off because we have a problem. They're just like, hmm, okay. Well, here's what we know. And this was a big theme during the pandemic. Here's what we know today. Here's the decision we're going to make today. But we're not going to hold it so tightly because things are changing so rapidly. So if we know something in the next hour or in the next day, we'll make a different decision. When you give people permission to let it be okay and go wherever it needs to go, that too helps people survive in very stressful times because you can carry this weight on your shoulders that we're taking care of people, right? We were thinking people's lives were gonna be lost. Mm -hmm. That can be this inherent pressure that you wanna try to alleviate. And when we say we're gonna do the best we know how to do today and change if we know differently, that really opens up the door to Mm -hmm. foster um, that spirit of collaboration as well
1: yeah, I think I think a lot of the older school leaders, as you call them, more like hierarchical, I think they fundamentally do believe that um, it's there they might show an insecurity by not by by asking for the the their the input or mm-hmm. getting the ideas. But I personally have found that I feel more secure by actually creating that environment where people can bring their ideas to the table. I have less insecurity because of that. Um, has that been what you would say too?
2: I would echo that. I I would say, listen, I know who I am and what anybody thinks or senses about me is really their own story and their own narrative. It doesn't change anything about myself, right? And what I have found is that the best way you build relationships is being vulnerable with people. No one expects you to be this perfect machine to have all of the answers. If they do, they're just not my people, right? Mm -hmm. But my greatest connection with people comes in being willing to expose the things that I simply don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband says that I am a brilliant person surrounded by moments of the dumbass. I hope that doesn't offend any leader, <laughs> of any of your listeners, but, but it's so true because I can know certain things so well and then be completely naive about other things. But that's the thing. That's true for all of our human experience, right? right? So I don't feel any sense of masking that. And what it does is it gives people permission to feel and do the same. Because if we're worried about posturing or positioning ourselves, that's energy that's being taken away from what's really important in the work that we do.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I do think that, you know, as we talked before about that, you know, this people revolution is coming and people are no longer going to tolerate working for an organization that doesn't think like what you just brought up. And I think one of the most important things you mentioned is this adaptability piece and that, you know, today it may go one way, but tomorrow it might be different. And the more flexible we can be as leaders and the more adaptable we can be the more likely we are, I think, to survive. So another thing I just want to call out is I'm, I'm really, I, you know, admire that, that you're doing that. Again, in an industry that's usually fairly rigid, you know, you have to have care providers, for example, show up to care for the the patients. Mm-hmm. You probably can't provide a lot of flexibility in schedule, but you can provide maybe flexibility in other areas. So when you think about being adaptable, like obviously there's some areas that are rigid and some that are more flexible. What have you experienced with that? would have been some areas where you've been able to be more flexible?
2: You know, we probably have more flexibility than maybe we've given ourselves credit for, you know, in the past. I I love how you kind of articulated the reality of we have to be there to provide care because we're people taking care of people, right? And at Fowler, we say, these are the inherent parts of the gig, right? But if we meet those, what other ways can we bring creativity? When you think about what people are wanting and what, I, what you described as the people revolution, they're wanting connection and they're wanting autonomy. And autonomy can best be given when you invite people to structure their work and create their work and say, how do you experience this? What do you feel like are ways that we could work around this? Or, for example, if someone needs flexibility... If you can't be here, how do you think the work can get done? And you invite them to participate instead of making it all rely on the manager to solve the problems. You say, how do you see this working for your needs? And how do you see this working for the needs of our business or our residents? And what I have found is that people come up with really great ideas. But it's not one size fits all. And I think this is what scares a lot of leaders, especially in our industry, because it is regulated. We have agencies that are coming in, looking over our shoulders, finding out if we're doing things wrong or not. And it tends to be very kind of, you know, in the box. But there are so many ways that we can work in and around that and still meet the regulation by allowing people who do the work to say we could do the same outcome by just a couple of tweaks. Mm -hmm. Or you don't have to be here for this part. This other person could take the reins on that. I could handle what I need to. And then I'll come on the back end and handle something else, for example. So I, I always kind of describe it like this. Autonomy is best achieved when you are flexible in work design. And the people who know how to design the work best are the people closest to it. I have lots of great ideas. And sometimes I think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then they launch and they're not so great. <laughs> yeah. They're not so great. And it's okay. I tell everybody nothing went wrong. We just have more information now than we did when we started. And now what are we going to do? So it really, it just, when it, when it comes down to people, they just want to feel like they have some authority over what they're doing. And we make it a bigger challenge than it really needs to be, from my perspective. If we st- step back and just asked ourselves, how would we want to handle this if we were in that role, which seems kind of intuitive and simple, and yet we don't do it. It's like we forget about it and we want to make it easier for us and not necessarily easier for the person experiencing it. Hmm. So that's a, that's always a good reminder, too.
1: Yeah, I think all leader, all challenges in an organization come back to the leader. All problems are leadership problems. Mm-hmm. And it's what the, what's the tone that's being set? What's the expectation that's being set? Is it actually really being lived or not, right? And so, um, so, no, I echo that completely, what you just said. Now, and I also also really love what you said about creating the autonomy and letting people really design the work the way they think it should be done for an outcome. It has to be still sort serving the business and serving Absolutely. the in your Absolutely. case, the residents. But I think there's a lot of flexibility in the middle of all of that. Um, what other things have you noticed in the last year? So now we're through the pandemic, mm-hmm. we're all back kind of in-person, things are somewhat back <clears> to normal. What's been a big shift that you've seen now?
2: For us in the healthcare industry, and especially in what we call post-acute, which is what our industry falls in, you've heard about burnout your entire career, right? You've you understand how to look for the five signs. That's kind of the buzzword. Here's the five signs of burnout, and here's what you need to do. What's different now, though, is this is burnout that's been sustained over fundamentally a three-year period. I'm not even sure that we can articulate what the word is for the experience of what it was like to be a healthcare worker during this time, just in our industry alone, post-acute, we've seen over 500,000 people across the United States leave the industry entirely, not Mm -hmm. just go to a competitor, just say, Nope, not for me anymore. I took it as long as I could. And so that's a big shift. That's a big difference. We always had workforce challenges, but to have so much of your labor, pool just kind of just disappear overnight, Mm -hmm. that's a big challenge that we're faced with now, which makes us lean, especially me, more into what you described, which is how do you create that connection of that worker who wants to be there? You know, some people kind of describe this, nobody wants to work anymore. That's not really my experience. My experience is people want to have purpose. They want to feel that they're meeting a need. The challenge is, is, they don't want it packaged the way that it's been packaged before. So even with me, when I'm asking myself, what's this new burnout? How do I entice people to want to come and contribute? I think those are questions that I don't have the complete answer to that are going to be evolving you know, over these next coming years in ways that I hope we take all of the things that we learned from the pandemic. We call those at Fowler pandemic wins. And we ask ourselves how to keep those things alive. So, for example, just last week, we were faced with a problem. I could see some of those old ways seeping back in because, like you said, we've kind of returned back to normal. We don't have that same sense of urgency. And I was like, what would pandemic thinking tell us? If we Hmm. were back at the beginning of 2020, how would we make this decision? And I mean, it just shifted, you know, over in a minute and for us to really dig in and get to the core you know, of what the problem was. But, but the bigger shift has just been, how do I keep people in the industry? How do I keep them connected? And how do I tell them, we're doing amazing things here? You want to be a part of it. Kendra, I'm sure you've worked in places where You've wanted to get off right at five o'clock. Oh, yeah. They describe that as they're backed into their parking place, right? So they can just jump in the car and drive away, <laughs> right? But what we're creating at Fowler is a sense of community and connection where people want to be there. They want to be with the people they work with. They want to be the people that we're serving, that it really is a sense of community where you find purpose and connection and you're recognized for your individual uniqueness And not just recognizing your your means to the end in the business that we run.
1: Right. Oh, I love that. And that's so important for preventing the burnout with people. I, I, do think that um, w- what you said that really resonates with me on this is that people don't burn out because of the five reasons. They mm-hmm. burn out because they don't feel cared for. That's really mm-hmm. what it comes down to. They don't feel like they have a tribe where they work and that they're not cared for. And so, why would you stay in an industry? Why would you say we're systemically in an industry that's the case? And you're really standing out above many of the other providers because you are creating that community where people do care for
2: each other. I hope so. I mean that that's what's the passion of my heart. I want people to, you know, feel good about what they do at the end of the day and not be so worried about making mistakes. I just want them to know that they did their best. Sometimes our best isn't good enough, right? We know that. I know that. But we always know intrinsically when we've given our best. And then there's going to be that next opportunity. And when you're working alongside with people who are like that, sometimes they carry the load for you, right? That's the beauty about creating that that type of culture, and that's why I'm so passionate and so tireless about doing it because I know it makes all the difference. It's it's really the true differentiator, in my opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. So so, what's next then? What do you see coming down the pipe in terms of the the next year or so? Any any predictions you've got for the future?
2: Well. It's going to be better than we all think it's going to be. That's my prediction, because (laughs) it's so easy for us to fall in the routine of, oh, my gosh, the world is coming to an end. What has happened? But I have faith in people. And because I work in a people service business, I see the beauty of simple acts of kindness and caring each and every day. So it, it gives me hope in humanity in the future. If we could get more of those stories and less some of the dire stories that are pushed through us through our outlets. Um, So I think it's going to be better than we think. But I think it's also going to require us to think outside of the traditional pathways that are available to us. And so I would encourage everybody to wake up and be excited about what you're going to be discovering. You know, take that information, put it in your toolkit, ask yourself, how does this serve me? How does this serve my community? How does this serve the people that I influence and lead? Those are the things that really feed us and energize us and help us solve the problems, right? Workforce challenges are not going to go away. They're always going to be more jobs, in my opinion, than there are the right kind of people to do them. That's what I mean by that, the right kind of people. But they're out there. Stay steadfast. Search for them because they're the ones that are going to make the difference in what you're trying to create, whether it's taking care of people or whether it's selling widgets, which is dating myself because it's an old accounting term. But (laughs) finding the right person, that makes all the difference. So stay steadfast and, and expect the best in people. That's what I want to say to leaders. People will give you what you expect from them. So if you expect the best from them, they'll give you that too. I love
1: that. That's perfect. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end on this. Um, I will also add to our listeners that all these pieces we've talked about today in terms of just being more adaptable and flexible, if you're curious about where and how to do that, um, we have an assessment that's based on our that's on our website. You can take to sort of self-assess where you're at on, like I think it's like 60 different categories on an A, B, C, D, and F cate- um, categorization. So you can kind of self-assess yourself to see what do people need and expecting and how are you serving them? So I encourage you to look at that if you're interested and want to have a little bit more information on that, that is what, of what Nicole has brought up today. So, well, Nicole, again, thank you so much for your time today. I think you and I could thank be talking and going on and on for hours on this topic, especially with both of us having an HR background, right? So I know
2: it's our, uh, it's our jam. So to yeah, speak. yeah exactly. Could, for sure.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining me on how I turned the corner today.
2: Kendra, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining this exciting episode. We hope this discussion brings you closer to a better, healthier, and more rewarding workplace everyone deserves to be a part of. If you want more content like this, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at turningthecornerllc.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to share this with your friends in the corporate world. And together, let's make this space a hub of growth and job satisfaction. If everyone loves where they are, They can always give their best without regrets. That's all for now. See you on the next one.